0: Ryan Buderer, Winnochurva. Here's Delphi up the inside again. Three wide into Turn Three. Hang on, no, he-
1: around with one left to go. Brian Hoare goes by Berger Blake in turn number one. Scott comes with him. Brian Hoare who sat on the pole wins two segments. His dad is going to win the third segment and he's going to come home the
0: overall champion with a third place finish in the final segment. Welcome, everybody, to Uncommon Deeds. Tom Corbett. He is Justin St. Louis. Hi. Back with, I think, what the rhythm is going to be for a little while. We're kind of settling into an every other week right now with yeah. a lot going on with Justin's work, with my work, and getting back to work, and the other shows, and we're at you know, 100-plus guests, it's getting a little harder. I mean, Jesse, you did – I'm very impressed. We're at whatever it is, two and a half years, 100-plus episodes, and you asked for help on Contacts for the first time ever.
2: Yeah, well, publicly. I mean, yeah. hell, there's people who sure. have helped us with almost every episode on this. But, um, you know, and it wasn't like a desperation thing. It was, hey, over the next few months – these are the people that we'd like to have on or the next year or whatever, however long it takes. Um, But it's sort of getting ourselves ready for the, for the summer grind and trying to alleviate some of the rushing around that we've, I mean, we took a month off last summer. And
0: hopefully, you know, with the every other week, we can alleviate kind of that, that burnout and that needing, you know, a month off to,
2: to regroup. Yeah. Yep. Um, We both have, crazy shit going on in our personal lives, um, as the summer approaches and, um, you know, no fouls is really taking off into becoming a thing as big as uncommon teeth right now, which is really cool. And
0: yeah, thank you. Um, and, and I'm going to blank on the name and I apologize. Shout out to you. You know who you are. I got a wonderful message or a post from somebody that listens to uncommon deeds Yep. And they had some free time and checked out No Fouls, and they listened like three or four and sent a very lovely note.
2: Yeah. Thank that you. That was uh, Nathan Kelly. Yep. That was it. Down in Claremont. Yep. Yep.
0: Freaking Claremont for the win. Hell yeah. Yep. But, no, that's been really good. We had a super fun episode of No Fouls coming up this week with Big Trouble Ben Bishop.
2: Yes. Get ready to get ready. Yeah, it
0: is Ben Krenka, who was a four-year player at UVM, was a captain his senior year, mm-hmm. and like most of it, it's probably two-thirds about basketball and kind of his journey and for the, it's our first real look, kind of at the college experience and playing at you know a Division One school and someone that went and played in the national tournament and then the last third is about his transition from you know master's degree and psychology sociology to professional wrestler
2: oh god i love it
0: and you're not going to want to miss it
2: no (laughs) so i don't know i don't know if you're going tom i the invite has certainly been extended, but um a group of my idiot friends and I are gonna go see his show in Burlington on the fourteenth. And uh man, we're excited. We were huge Ben Krenka fans in his basketball years at UVM and um, and then we found out he was a wrestling fan. I'm not even a wrestling fan, but all my buddies are, and so I, I sort of get roped into that. And uh so he's he's our hero and uh he's hilarious on his promos on Instagram and stuff. And he's six foot 12, 15% of a metric ton. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, he's, he's very entertaining and he was entertaining in the show. So check that out this week on the no fouls podcast. I don't, we, we segwayed hard out of, yeah, we got a lot going on and <laughs> right. There's some non podcast projects we want to do. And, you know, some around the racing stuff that we're pretty excited about. We had another one just kind of semi-develop around the basketball stuff. Yeah. For maybe the end of the summer that obviously pretty excited about, and we'll see if we can make that kind of come to
2: fruition. So we're not going anywhere. No, we're, de- we're definitely not going anywhere. I mean – Uncommon media is, I think, sort of starting to blossom behind the scenes the way that we had hoped we could do something with it um, beyond just this podcast or being on the air. Like, we're we're actually going to try and do things that, you know, have events that people are going to hopefully enjoy and, and participate in and, and become have it become a tradition. Um, wow.
0: Kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit. No, yeah. I didn't.
2: I, I didn't say anything about We're what? gonna be promoters. Where? Yeah. Yeah. I'm that's gonna right. grow a creepy
0: mustache and be the Vince McMahon. Ooh, I think
2: you're about uncommon. twelve hours too late. I think that didn't that just sell?
0: It did. But yeah. he he has now grown a really creepy mustache.
2: Oh. That's as you would
0: expect from someone who just got in trouble so, for you know Tens of millions of dollars in hush money for misconduct, let's just say, to to your next public appearance, having just dyed hair and a creepy mustache.
2: That's about what was left for him, wasn't it? Mm.
0: Yeah. Sounds about right.
2: Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Good things.
0: This show, uh, I know we don't get to do it very often. And it's difficult when we talk to young racers because they don't yet have the resume or the years or the stories to kind of fill a whole episode. And not that we can't appreciate, you know, a half hour story, but we love kind of giving you guys at least that hour of, of good contact content. But we got to go young this week and yeah. it was a pretty entertaining podcast
2: yeah i was um i don't know if surprise is the right word but um it was nice to have as long a, a conversation as we did with uh, derek lachaki and neither one of us had ever met him before um i don't even know if i've seen him race i, I don't know if you have either um just shit i don't think the schedules have lined up <laughs> with with seeing we him must
0: have saw him at opening day last year at thunder yeah, road maybe
2: oh that's right yeah yeah that's probably right but that might be it and um i thought so i cool saw him see. at the milk
0: bowl but that was a canadian
2: yeah yeah not the same uh <laughs> i mean it's this is a new name that i think we're gonna hear for a long time uh he's obviously good he's winning races he just won at hickory a couple weeks ago he's won at loudon he's won at oxford he's I mean, he's kicking everybody's ass right now. And um, it's going to be a a pretty great title fight this year with, I think, with him and DJ Shaw, Joey Polowarczyk, Jason Corliss. I mean, there's some great talent, actually, with ACT this year. Um, Tommy Carey. I mean, it's going to be a a fun season, I think. And uh, he is absolutely at the front and center of it. So time to get to know him. Yeah.
0: And I would suspect as time continues on we will get a chance to maybe talk to a few more you know younger end people and we'll figure out how to do that and make it into a entertaining show whether it be you know doubling up like we did with you know marcel and brandon lanfear we'll figure it out
2: yeah i'm just died there you, you won't hear it in post but you all right buddy i'm good hey yeah it's like I was witnessing an exorcism on the other side of the zoom call here
0: zoom the official partner of uncommon media
2: yeah yeah uh, speaking of partners we've got we've got some good ones standing by us and we've got new ones coming by the way on both this show and no fouls um, I don't know when your your new deal starts on no fouls but I think the, this week? the new one starts next week here yep so, um, looking forward to that. But also, a, of course, a thank you to Barry Tile, Morrison Clark for being with us for almost two years now. Probably about that. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, go see him down in Barry. And of course, Bushy Sales and uh, Generator Sales and Service, Springfield and Brookfield, number one Briggs and Stratton dealer in the state. So, probably coming up on to
0: close to a year and a half. Uh,
2: yeah. Got to be. More than a year for sure. It's got to be close to a year and a half. Remember, five hundo off uh, your purchase if you mentioned uncommon deeds with Bushy's generator sales and service between now and Memorial Day, which is
0: surprisingly coming faster yeah. than you think. Yeah, it is. So now's the time to get that generator.
2: What do we uh, What do we got going for story time this week? Oh, it's a fun one, and it's sort of a continuation, picking back up from six months ago, talking about the ACT stuff and um, when things kind of fell apart there in the the mid-90s and and what happened after. So we'll get back into that series.
0: And, of course, that is brought to us by ProHeat, just because winter's seemingly over. It's over on the
2: calendar. Extended
0: forecast shows, you know... (laughs) Mostly 50s, kind of moving forward a little bit. Albeit it was like 50 today, but the wind was cutting through like a ice-cold knife. Mm -hmm. But just because it's over does not mean it's time to stop worrying about your hot water heater. However you get your heat, now is actually a perfect time to set an appointment and make sure you're prepared for next year. You don't want to wait till freaking November. Right. To try and get an appointment with ProHeat. No,
2: no, get ahead of it. Um, I don't know what it was doing in Colchester, but on Saturday, I'm sorry, Friday, we got three inches of snow down here in Bridport, and woke up Saturday morning with a yard full of snow. And by noon, it was 65 degrees. And just, the
0: next day it was 37.
2: And it was 37 the next day. So, yeah, winter might be over officially, but it's not over.
0: Without further ado, let's head on over to Justin and Storytime.
2: Storytime is presented by our friends at ProHeat and East Montpelier, Vermont, and we're calling this episode Life After ACT. So we pick up this week with a Storytime project we started back in September. You'll recall that we started off on the Northern NASCAR circuit in the 1970s, then covered the creation of Tom Curley and Ken Squire's new NASCAR North Tour in 1979 and its subsequent demise, in 1985, and then Tom Curley's original American-Canadian Tour Pro Stocks that ran from 1986 through 1995. So what happened after ACT shut down? The Pro Stocks were gone from the ACT fold after the 1995 season, and suddenly a whole bunch of racers had a lot of expensive equipment and nowhere to race it. It would be nice if there was one simple answer to this story, but there wasn't. And remember that before we even begin talking about any of the pro-stock options, there was also the behemoth that was the rival NASCAR Bush North Series, but that's for a later episode. So you'll recall from the last installment of this saga last September that driver Ralph Nason and ACT promoter Tom Curley were at war in 1995. A lawsuit between the two was one of the driving forces, though certainly not the main reason that Curley pulled the plug on ACT. So when he folded, coleslaw tycoon Ralph Nason saw an opportunity and created the Northeast Pro Stock Association, or NEPSA. While the first season was almost strictly a main tour, it was successful enough that Race and Ralph made a real go at it for a few years. It probably didn't hurt that he owned Unity Raceway, which hosted three of the ten races that first year, and it probably also didn't hurt that the Sultan of Slaw himself won four of the NEPSA races and was the first series champion. Save money however you can, right? Drivers from ACT in 1995 who supported NEPSA in 1996 included Nason, of course, along with Tracy Gordon, Jeff Taylor, Mike Rowe, Stan Meserve, Adam Friend, Larry Jalinas, Kenny Dufour, Scott Mulkern, Jay Karen, Jerry Lasage, John John Lazat, Gary's. you know what, it was most of them, to be honest with you. But that was just one option. New York's Wes Moody, who was better known as a dirt modified guy formed a series with backing from the Hooters restaurant chain through their Hooterade sports drink. The series opened at the brand new Malone International Raceway, not far from the Canadian border, and the inaugural winner was ex-ACT runner Dennis Demers. A couple hours south, Evans Mills Speedway hosted the next event. Races were planned through the summer for Spencer Speedway and a temporary road course in the city of Syracuse, but neither of those events happened. Ontario's Tony Corcoran, who at two different points in his career was an ACT racer, was a winner on the Hooterade Tour, as was rising Vermont star Brian Hoare. Hoare took his weekly late model car to Evans Mills, and he beat Dennis Demers late in lap traffic to win the big show of the year, the Coca-Cola 250, but Demers still clinched the championship. Wes had grand plans for the Hooterade Northeast Racing Series, but the tour fizzled out and never ran a second season. North of the border, Quebec's stock car scene was in its own state of turmoil as the Kaskar Sportsman Series, and that's Kaskar with a Q, not a C, by the way. That series ran the same pro stock cars as ACT, but it also shut down after 1995 at virtually the same time that Curly did. A new tour sponsored by ProLab was formed in 1996 with the championship won by ACT veteran Ivan Bedard, who had also won the final Cascar with a Q title in 1995. Then, of course, the Pro Stock teams also had weekly track options that included Oxford Plains, Beech Ridge, Lee USA, Star, Seacock, Monadnock, and many others. Or Many of the cars could be slowed down and converted to weekly late model specs, which Curley still offered on Thursday nights at Thunder Road, Saturday nights at Airborne Raceway, and on the road here and there in a touring format, but without the ACT branding. And Cascar with a Q still had a late model series up north as well. That first year was enough to make your head spin. In 1997, the NEPSA tour was the only game in town for the pro stocks. The Hooterade and Pro Lab tours didn't exist after the winter, and nothing stepped up to replace them. NEPSA expanded its schedule to 15 races, including Oxford, Wiscasset, Unity, White Mountain, Canaan, Seaconk, and even the San Super Speedway Trial in Quebec. It was a nice little tour, and it was the Ralphie Show all year, and at one point, he won six consecutive races. But stars were also made in Scott Chewbuck, Kenny Wright, and young Ben Rowe, and veterans Jeff Stevens, Jeff Taylor, and Mike Rowe were winners as well, and Ralph Nason won the championship again. again. Tom Curley's late model tour had title sponsorship from Texaco Haviland, but it still did not carry ACT branding. Cascar with a Q continued its late model series as well, but that was its last year. Oh, and don't forget that the Pro Truck Tour that we talked about here in Storytime a few weeks ago was also formed in 1997 too. Shoosh. In 1998, Cascar with a Q was gone in Quebec, but late model touring continued under Pro Lab sponsorship with a different organizing group. Tom Curley's late model program stayed afloat and began to gain steam, and NEPSA soldiered on too, but with a schedule that was cut in half to just eight races, with three of them up in Quebec, and the title was won by young Kenny Wright. In that year, the new Two Race International Pro Stock Challenge Series, or IPSC, was also created, designed as a home-and-home series between Maine's Oxford Plains Speedway and Scotia Speedworld in Halifax, Nova Scotia. NEPSA and IPSC continued on as separate tours in 1999, with NEPSA back up to 10 shows and IPSC increasing to six. Mike Rowe was the NEPSA champion, and the late, great Scott Fraser took the IPSC crowd. The ACT name returned to Tom Curley's late model tour in 1999, and Quebec had two options. A third different ProLab-sponsored tour carried sanction from the more recognizable Cascar with a C, combining the Cascar Sportsman cars with ACT-style late models in the same race. At the same time, a series sponsored by ADL Tobacco was created with late models dominated by Carl Allard. And then in 2000, it got real weird. NEPSA was down to six races, but all of them also counted as IPSC events. And IPSC also had five standalone races. And interestingly, Oxford Plains was nowhere, nowhere to be found on either schedule. Ben Rowe swept both championships. ADL and ACT both held strong with the late models, the Pro Truck Tour, Died a quick death after 2000, though. And then in 2001, Tom Mayberry, a former ACT and Oxford racer himself, created the new Pro All-Star Series, or PASS. IPSC did not return, but Ralph Nason skipped five races for NEPSA, all of which, by the way, were at the two tracks that he owned, Maine's Unity Raceway and Quebec's Autodrome Mominee, but only three of those races were held, and Ralph Nason won them all. Still, somehow, Gary Smith was named the champion. I don't get that one. And then that was it. NEPSA died, IPSC was gone, the Pro Truck Tour was dead, and PASS is still thriving today. The ADL series in Quebec folded after tobacco advertising laws changed on both sides of the border in 2003, but obviously ACT is doing very well today as well. I'll pick up with the PASS story at some point here in the future, as well as the Bush North series story, but for now, try to digest all of that nonsense. And remember, it all took place in just five years' time. Whoa our guest this week is a kid that we really don't know a whole lot about and that's what makes the show fun uh the thing that we do know about him is that he wins a lot these days and uh, he's kind of burst onto the scene on the american canadian tour and pretty much everywhere else in new england and you see him in victory lane all the time including last weekend at hickory speedway down in north carolina so we're going to get to know him and uh kind of share his story uh derek luchaki welcome to uncommon deeds
1: thank you guys for having me
2: are we saying the name right first of all
1: sounded right yeah okay <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's i feel good like start. that's
0: that's one of those things where you hear what 10 different pronunciations a week
1: oh yeah and a lot of people that's how i break the ice starting a conversation like oh how do you say your last name stuff like that so it's pretty funny
0: Well, take us kind of to the beginning, and when did motorsports come into your life?
1: Um, well, like everything else, started when I was young, you know. Um, I was probably about five. My dad started taking me to uh, Seekonk Speedway here in Massachusetts, and um, he always tells the story that I wanted to go home the first couple times I went. I had no interest, things like that, so I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he says. Um. And then one thing led to another. We kind of ended up sitting with a group of people who raced um, quarter midgets at Little P, which is in turn three at Thompson. And um, they told us to come down, try it out, because they have a promotional day. And um, we did. And then soon after that, we bought a car and uh, I started racing um, when I was 10 years old at Little P. 10
2: years old. Then, so that uh, was like three weeks ago?
1: Yeah, I mean, about you're not, you're not a very old guy. <laughs> yeah, no. So uh, I did that for five years, won a championship, track record, all that kind of stuff. Um, we had two cars, so that was pretty cool. The two divisions. Um, my dad always worked, and my mom had to bring me, so that was cool. I learned a lot. Um, obviously, I had to pick up on stuff and um, try and do the most I could when I was there by myself with my mom. Um, and then we got a legend car in 2015 and we went to Seacon, Speedway on Fridays, struggled really bad the first year. Um, got Rick of the Year and stuff. And then we bought a new car for the 2017 year. And that's when I started, uh, you know, being competitive and winning races and stuff. And, um, so from the end of 2018, um, that's when I stopped racing legend cars. We had 13 wins, triple crown championship, stuff like that at Seekonk. And then we got a late model.
2: That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty short ride from the beginning to where you're at now.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I did the whole legend car thing for four years too, I think. And then, um, uh, we got the late model from Ray Parent and Don Parsons. It was actually the car that won the championship at Thompson um that year before and a bunch of races he stuff like that so um we kind of put all our pennies together and came up with the money for the car and uh debuted it And in the first race we finished second to jake johnson um side by side by about probably three feet start finish line so that was pretty cool and then after that we kind of struggled honestly with it and um just learning a new car um i do all the work with myself and stuff like that so um kind of starting over Trying to build a notebook, and here the past past two years, two and a half years, we've really uh, turned things around. That's for sure.
0: Are you a cool kid in high school as a race car driver around Seekonk, or?
1: Um, so I went to New Bedford Vocational High School. Um, so not really. I didn't. I wasn't really a uh, very outspoken kid. I was an automotive. I just kind of did my thing and. My thing was racing, everyone else kinda, you know, did the whole sports thing and I just did my racing and I had a, you know, couple of friends who came a couple of times, but other than that, no, I wasn't really anything special. Yeah, I feel
0: I feel like you would have been a hero in automotive class. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the teachers thought it was cool, but none of the kids really cared.
2: (laughs) That actually makes it less cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, did your teachers know anything about seacock or racing or understand what was going on or they just think hey it's cool the kid's got a race car
1: um so actually um when i first got the late model um two yeah two of my teachers actually came to help at the track for the whole year so that was pretty cool. Nice. and um my other teacher um so we had three so my other teacher he was um into like the road racing stuff at thompson so that was pretty cool so i kind of got to bond with my teachers in like a different way than most people would
0: You know, not to kind of steal from the no fouls podcast, but how kind of important was that as a kid in school to have teachers there that supported what you wanted to do and it wasn't, you know, do your homework. It wasn't this and that, but actually like put in the time to help you with your passion.
1: Yeah, no, it was definitely really cool. Um, I know, at least in the automotive side of things when we were in shop, they were always asking if I ever needed anything and stuff like that. And they were always kind of pushing me to, uh, you know, try and do the best I could with it. And they wanted to see everything work out and stuff like that. So it was definitely cool. And then, you know, we come back after we run good or whatever, and it'd be like, they all be excited and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. Very
2: cool. So you kind of gave us the overview of your career, but um, I mean, let's unpack it a little bit. I mean, were you, were you um, hanging around race cars at all when you were a kid? When you when you started off in go karts? I mean, did you look up to anybody, or was it just your family had a go kart and that's what we did?
1: Yeah, no. So actually, um, on my road, the um, the old crew chief, he's still um, basically still is a crew chief, Scott Richards for the BRE um, Modified team. He lives a couple houses up from me. So um, once we kind ta- well, we kind of always knew each other and stuff like that. And um, once he found out we were getting into racing and stuff he kind of took me under his wing brought me over to the shop and stuff worked on the modifieds for um quite a while um when rowan pennock was driving um, the car um so that was cool i learned a lot from them and that's i feel like that's a lot of where i got my work work ethic from um working on race cars and stuff like that
2: that's a pretty iconic race car
1: yeah no definitely um it was cool um Mike Bowler and all them guys are all great people. Greg, um, everyone on their crew, they all taught me a ton, and um, I actually got to drive it at the Haunted Hunter this year at Seacon, so that was like a that was really cool. It was like a long time coming thing, growing up working on it and stuff like that. Um, obviously, a huge thank you to Mike Bowler for making that one happen. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was a big deal for me and my family, so that was a good day for us.
0: In those early years, did you have? racing aspirations or were you just kind of a kid who was happy to be doing something and, you know, whatever dad said, we'll go try that. Or were you like, Oh, I want to go to the American Canadian tour. And then I want to go South and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah. So, um, actually I started off riding dirt bikes and that was kind of the direction we were going to go. Cause I was like, I guess I was decent enough at it. So where my dad was like, we should try this. And my mom shut that one down. Um, so then, uh, we got the quarter midget stuff and once I started, um, getting more into it, you know, I was, uh, my dad was like, Oh, what's next, what's next, what's next. And then, um, I always wanted to end up in a modified at some point in my life. Um, but yeah, the late model thing was, uh, after the quarter midgets, I wanted a legend car. And after that I did want a late model. So I, I did it in stages. I wouldn't say it was like all at once. thing.
0: So you're, uh teenager and your dad is asking you hey what's next where are we going what are we doing come on tell me
1: yeah i mean he was always um trying to push me to do uh do better do more um stuff like that um he always you know helped work on the car and stuff um he did a lot of it when i was younger and then once i got older he kind of you know showed me around and stuff like that and said if you want to continue you're going to have to Learned to work on it. So um, we did, and uh, one thing led to another, and we were uh, successful in legend cars, and then he was like, well, now what? And um, we moved up, and that's where we've been ever since.
0: What was your Ooh. first oh-Jesus moment in a late model where you said, oh, okay, this is different. I need to get <laughs> my shit together.
1: Um, yeah, um, probably the... First couple races, you know, it's not a legend car, that's for sure. Um, I know like the quote-unquote legend car kids have a uh, reputation for being rough when they get into a full-body car and stuff. So I'm sure I had a reputation like that um, when I first started, but uh, I like to think I cleaned it up now.
2: (laughs) Who were you racing with in the legend cars?
1: Um, uh, Nicholas Kohler racing.
2: He's pretty much dominant
1: yeah um so we actually got hooked up with him um the first year i had a sedan um and we're running okay just like mid-pack or whatever and uh went up getting wrecked one night um needed a clip stuff like that and um he actually came up to us and was like hey i want to help you guys out and um uh, that's when he was first starting his uh trying to grow his business and stuff like that and uh after that off season, he built himself a brand new car, and then was like, "Well, you guys want a new car, so we worked out a deal with him, and that's how we got our first Fola car, and uh, we stayed with him ever since, and turned out to be a really successful uh deal he had going on. Yeah,
2: I mean, we could we could beat around with the legends cars a little bit more, but I, I think that the 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 thing that most people are going to know you for is the ACT stuff and late models and now you're kind of dipping your toe into the super lates and with pass. And then of course racing the old blue number three. Um, like you said, you, you finished second, in your first race, right. And then struggled after that. I think people might have a hard time believing that given what you guys have done the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. Um, it was just, uh, me and my friend Reagan Karen at the time. Um, it was just me and him really and um like i said my couple teachers would come but they knew you know like car car stuff you know not like race car things like wedge crossway all that kind of stuff um so they were they were helpful and stuff if anything went wrong they jumped right in and got on it um but the race car stuff that was basically between me and reagan and he controlled the tires and i kind of worked on the car and i mean we had some good runs don't get me wrong we were uh we finished second our first race and then we ran weekly at CCon for a while, but that was pretty rough, um, so we focused on Thompson, um, and we ended up finishing second in the points there by uh, one point the first year, so that was pretty cool, and we uh, started our first act race there at the end of the year, um, so towards the end of the season, we uh, turned things around. We got our first win at the uh, World Series, and then we also won the Haunted Hunter at Seaconk that year, but the beginning of the year just getting to know the car and figuring things out and you know it's not a legend car anymore so um just the growing pains that's pretty much how it was i feel like
0: In those early stages were there any drivers that you could kind of reach out to that might give you a helpful hint hint or a helpful hand to help with the learning curve
1: um yes and no um Seekonk, yeah, there was a couple guys like Mark Jennison and, um, you know, obviously the guy we bought the car from, Ray Parent. He was probably the biggest help. Um, He kind of – he really kind of pointed us in the right direction when we got the car. And um, we kind of just maintained it and would go off the path a little bit and figure out what that does and try this and that. And then we kind of – towards the end of the year, we kind of got up on our own kind of set up that was away from what he was doing and um it started to work so um it was really just a lot of trial and error more than anyone particularly jumping in and helping
2: yeah Ray Parent i mean obviously did a lot with ACT and um he's pretty legendary at, at Seekonk. um i mean did you did you know him before uh, yeah you you raced with Reagan right so so yeah. you guys sort of had a relationship um must have made it easier for you right
1: yeah no definitely um so me and reagan actually became friends from racing legend car stuff and um, that's probably a big reason why i have this car um i'd go over and help reagan with his car and stuff like that and then me and ray kind of built a friendship um through reagan and stuff and then once we uh ray kind of caught wind we were uh, wanting to move up and his car was for sale he kind of was the one who pushed for us to have it um so that was huge for him very thankful he was, he's pretty much the reason we have it, um, because I know there's a couple guys who were interested at the same time, but, um, yeah, he definitely, uh, I leaned on him a lot in the beginning just to, um, you know, figure out what's what, because, um, obviously there's a lot more adjustments in one of these things than, um, a legend car, or go-kart, or anything like that, so, um, after that, um, he really helped us out, he pointed us in the right direction, but he, he also didn't give us handouts and we had to find it, you know? So I feel like that helps me a lot now knowing everything. Um, I think if you would have just handed me a setup sheet and was like, this is your magic number and have fun. You know, I don't think that would have helped me much.
0: Did that help you with kind of that quick transition to the tour where all of a sudden you're going to a bunch of tracks you haven't been before?
1: Um, yes and no. Um, at that, once we moved up to the tour, we kind of were already doing our own kind of deal. Um, We did struggle. Obviously, you got to build a notebook. You got to go through the growing pains again of, you know, moving up to a more competitive division and stuff like that. Um, There was a lot of tracks he went to. And, you know, he kind of just said, I mean, you can try these. I don't know if they're going to work or whatever, spring-wise, gear-wise, stuff like that. Um, And then uh, eventually I ended up building a relationship with Jeff Taylor. Um, I have a distance car, so it was going to happen. And um, so, yeah, I started talking to him more and um, he really helped me out a lot. He kind of just gave me a general overview of everything and where he likes to be. And I kind of found my own happy medium of everything. And that's pretty much where we're at now.
0: So how much of that is all on you at this point? I mean, we've talked to different people like a chip Grenier who might be a great crew chief. And at times the great driver but he says he wishes he had another him to do the setup so he could just drive.
1: Yeah. Um, I definitely have days. I feel like that. Um, I actually, right now the past, um, well, backtrack a little bit. Um, the last time I went to Hickory, so two years ago, I started a spot. I got a primary sponsor come on board, the all phases renovation deal. Um, and, he got us in the super late model stuff, stuff like that. And about halfway through the year, he, he had bought me a, uh past car and I was doing my own thing with the late model. And he was like, do you know anyone that we can bring in to, you know, work on the pass car so you can focus on your car, things like that. And, um, uh, now he is still my crew chief. Now Dave Lassard, I brought him, um, on board for the all phases deal. He, uh, was crew chief in the pass car and the, you know, work on the late model too. So I feel like when he came around, that's when all the puzzle pieces kind of came together for us. And uh, we ended up getting a couple of other um, crew guys, Chad um, and Dave's buddy Pat, who passed away um, last year. So um, once we started getting a couple guys to come every, um, you know, probably four every uh, every act race and things like that, um, we started to uh, collect.
2: What was your first impression, you know, like the first time that you pulled through the gate for an ACT race that's not in your backyard? I mean, are you like, okay, it's real now. Um, (laughs) Or were you comfortable?
1: uh, When we're all going through tech and stuff, I'm just looking at everyone else's car and I'm like, man, (laughs) I don't know what I got myself into, right? Because you you got DJ Shaw, all the guys who build the cars, you know, and you're just a kid, right? I mean, you built this new garage for like, your friends and um, just showing up. And, I mean, we had nice, it's a nice car and stuff like that. We didn't show up and embarrass ourselves, so that, I was pretty pleased about that. Um, yeah, once I'd say once I got in the track and um, got on the racetrack, and, you know, was around everybody, and we kind of knew where we stacked up right away, um, I feel like I was a lot more comfortable, but definitely rolling in and going through tech and seeing, seeing all the cars and stuff, I was like, what did we get into? <laughs>
2: were you welcomed as an outsider or did people kind of leave you alone?
1: Um, yeah, I'd say we were pretty welcomed. Um, we were definitely a little rough around the edges at first. Um, the first year on the act tour and stuff, um, that was the COVID year. Yeah. So everything was kind of screwed up yeah. anyway. Right. So, um, yeah, we were a little rough around the edges, but, um, we started to, uh, we had some decent rounds. I think we had a, coupled like sixth to eighth place finishes. Um, so we were happy with that, with our, you know, low budget team and stuff like that at that time. And uh, yeah, once we uh, had a couple good runs, you could tell we started to gain more respect from everybody. People started racing us different and stuff like that. So I think the more we raced with them, the better it got.
0: How long did it take? Well, you kind of mentioned you got a couple good finishes in there. You start to get that positive momentum going. At what point do you think you turned the corner and said, okay, I'm ready to win. I'm ready to compete every week.
1: I, I know at the end of that, of the, I think it was the first year on the tour. I, think. I don't know. Um, but when I got to all phases sponsorship, um, that's when I was like, you know, I kind of, we got to hunker down. We really got to figure this out. You know, we, we have speed. Like, we'll, we'll put tires on and we'll, you know rip off a good lap we'll be consistent and stuff but we just we struggled putting the whole the whole a whole race together um but once i got that deal and stuff like that we really i really focused myself um on just trying to keep it in one piece get through the day if you have a fifth place car finish it you know don't try and finish third and cost yourself four spots trying to make up for it you know and once i started doing that um we started to build the momentum, as you were saying. And uh, I think that year at Oxford, we had our first podium on the tour. And um, that's a place I've always liked. Um, the first time we ever went there, we are actually pretty quick. Um, and then after Oxford, we kind of um, put together some good runs. And then we lost the all-phases deal at Thunder Road when we got wrecked. And then the race after Thunder Road was White Mountain. And that race, we actually, that's when Dave came on full-time for the ACT stuff, um, my crew chief now. And that race was our best race. Um, we actually led, uh, I think, 80 or 90 laps of it. And just through a lot of traffic, we got kind of shuffled around and ended up finishing like fourth. But um, right there, those three weeks, um, I'd say, was the turning point for me.
2: So a couple of things that I want to um, unpack there. You say you lost a sponsor after, after a bad race at Thunder Road. What, I mean, was it a race to race deal or did something, ha- I mean, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but it seems like it's a kind of a sticky point.
1: No, that's just where the sponsorship ended. Um, there was some stuff going on throughout the year that, you know, um, wasn't really working out. So, I mean, that race, wasn't it didn't end because of a wreck or a bad race or anything like that those are some stuff going on throughout the year that wasn't working out for everybody and um that's just the week it ended but after that i mean um like i was saying um we had dave come on full time to be uh um focused on the act stuff for us um he comes to the track does the tires and everything like that and we i actually i actually work for him now he owns a auto shop and Far River, mass. Um, so all day we're bouncing ideas off of each other and stuff like that. So by the time we get to the track, we end up having a pretty good plan put together.
2: So the other part that I wanted to ask about, um, when you're kind of hitting your stride there and keep in mind that you're what 21 now. So this is, uh, you know, a year or two ago, you're, you're very much a kid who is in your ear you know, during the race and, and keeping you calm? Cause I mean, I don't, you seem like a pretty level-headed guy, but when you're under pressure at that age for the first time, you can make mistakes, but it seems like you, you kind of haven't really had that.
1: Um, so I was fortunate enough to, uh, through racing and stuff like that, become friends with Brandon Wilkinson. Um, he's a really good spotter he spots for, um, some cup guys, stuff like that. He's spot for uh, Giovanni Ruggiero right now. Um, and down south out west stuff like that super late models um so he was a big influence for me he um he really knows he's a really good spotter really good at keeping you under control stuff like that um and then we kind of through that whole deal that i was talking about we kind of had a spotter bouncing around um so we there there wasn't a lot of consistency through um around that time before we started hitting our stride and stuff like that like you were saying so um, now I actually have Kurt Handsome, Kate Ray's old spotter. Um, he's really good. Um, he's he's definitely uh, kept me cool in a lot of situations already, that's for sure.
2: So, okay, then you're off and running here. I mean, 2021, um, you, you finish out the year with a win at Thompson, which is one of your home tracks. Um, that's got – I mean – I I can imagine what it would feel like, but tell us, you know, what that meant to you guys. I see the smile on your face already.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was a big one for us. Um, that was our first ACT win. That was coming off of our white mountain race. that I was just talking about where we ended up losing the lead, um, late, late in the race there. So once we had that white mountain race, I feel like the whole morale of the team, just everything kind of turned. Um, we're like, we can do this, you know, and you know the i think it was a week or two in between the tore the whole car apart went through, through every single thing on it we're like we're going to thompson and we're doing it you know and um yeah that day we were we were pretty dominant that day um fastest all day and stuff like that and uh yeah the car responded really well we unloaded we were good um made a little adjustment there in practice and it took off and we just left it alone for the rest of the day and um Yeah, we were able to get the first ACT win out of the way. And uh, that was a big one, that's for sure, because, you know, I started racing at Thompson, you know, um, in the quarter midgets over the airs. That meant a lot to me to get my first late model win at Thompson and then get my first ACT win at Thompson, too.
0: I was going to say, was it a little more, I think it's important either way, but was it a little bit sweeter to have it happen there as opposed to, whatever, a White Mountain or a Thunder Road?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, obviously, it's closer to home, more local. So we, I, we had a lot of people in the stands that we knew and stuff like that, people I grew up racing with from um, the go-karts and stuff. And uh, um, after the race, they brought me up to the uh, media center to do like, some interviews and stuff, and there was a ton of people you know, just congratulating me and stuff because I was getting ridden over there on the golf cart. So that made it even more special, that's like, for sure.
0: Did you notice – a little bit of a change in terms of how you were perceived once you were able to get that win. Did it change a little bit?
1: Yeah, i I would say it probably did because I mean, up until then, we kind of had a um, a mixed bag of like anywhere from sixth to second place finishes, and we had some bad days. And it just, um, I feel like it kind of. Answered the question of could we, uh, you know, put a whole race together, put a whole day together, stuff like that. And uh, after that, I feel like it's just the whole question was gone, and we knew we could do it.
0: It's interesting. It almost sounds like you're like, "Ah, oh, what a relief to finally have it and out of the way." And you're fucking whatever twenty years old at the time. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, you know, we talk to people on this show who don't start racing until their mid thirties. <laughs> Shout-out to Pete Fecto. (laughs) But did you feel – did you start to feel like it wasn't happening? Did you start hearing almost that little voice on the shoulder that said, we have to win one of these soon?
1: Yeah, you know, kind of started out with – we had a couple good runs there in the middle of the year, and everyone's like, it's coming, it's coming, you know. It's like, well, it's been six weeks, (laughs) it's still not here, you know. But, um, yeah. Um, it was definitely a weight off my shoulders. You know, you start to, after you give a couple up from making mistakes yourself and stuff like that, you start to, you know, obviously get down about it, but, you know, I kind of was able to turn that into more motivation to, you know, get, get to work in the garage and find some more speed.
0: Were you of age to celebrate after that first win?
2: (laughs) He's barely (laughs) of age now.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) Fair.
2: So you mentioned the press box at Thompson. It's one of the few tracks um, in the Northeast that has a legitimate press box where they do bring the driver up for a media session. What is that like for you um, for the first time?
1: Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I walked in, there was about six people with the little handheld microphone things. So I was like, wow, this is uh, it's real now, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, it was cool. It made it even more special to not just, you know, Get the checkered flag, do the victory lane stuff, but that made it pretty cool, extra special, um, just to have that extra thing added on top. Um, that was, I think Jim Carson and those guys were up there. They they all do a really good job with that stuff, so that was that was cool. And after that, me and him kind of built a little relationship. So um, it turned out being pretty cool going up there and meeting everybody and stuff like that.
2: Okay, so that's the end of of twenty one. And you guys have all winter to sit on that win, right? And uh just kind of soak it in. You know, and I'm sure that like a typical racer, it's you look forward to the next race and it's it's you know, head down, fin up kind of thing, but you do have all winter to think about it and be like, Okay, this is kind of the opportunity that we have to to go for it, right? And you friggin' went for it uh by winning at Loudoun of all places to open the next season.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, that winter I put a lot of work into the car. Um I had a lot of help from my crew obviously. Um, and we actually won the icebreaker that year to open it um at Thompson. So that was cool. We were yeah, right, just right. as uh, yeah, just as dominant if not more than um, the World Series. Um so that was good. Um kicked it off right and then you know our goal all winter was we wanted to win Loudon um my crew chief dave he won Loudon when it was an invitational with ray um so he's like i want another one and i was like well i want one too you know (laughs) um but uh yeah so we went there and um we all kind of knew what we needed to do and um we were about we did a long run in practice because uh we were actually pretty good there a couple years before that we went we ended up blowing tires um running like fifth and I think we were seventh the year before something like that um, so we did a really long run in practice and uh, right there we didn't have barely any tire wear so I like, that, that silenced that thing in my mind so I was kind of going into it um, not really worried about tires as much um, so basically we rode around in about third to second and then we put tire we put the two rights on it during the break and we dropped like a rock really fast um i think we went back to about eight and um it was it stayed green and we ended up getting back up to, i think fourth maybe even third and then um once uh it was late yellow and uh, jimmy Heber had some break going into one he was on my outside um that was another yellow and then me and Carrie ended up being on the front row. So that was pretty cool. I battled him for my first win at Thompson. Um, so to battle him at Loudon was pretty cool. Um, yeah, we ended up getting by him there at the end. And once I took the lead, I was like, I had to dial it back in. I got lost for a minute, you know, leading, the, leading the Loudon and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we clicked off the last, I think it was eight or nine laps. And, uh, Ended up winning and I did a pretty bad burnout start finish line. And uh, yeah,
0: that was it. <laughs> Can you even kind of how long does it take to really soak in that you just won at Loudon? And like I'm assuming, do you still kind of get the cool butterflies when you pull in to Loudon? I mean, Justin and I would get it pulling in with my Chrysler with media credentials, feeling <laughs> pretty cool.
1: Yeah, when you you know you drive the truck and trail through the tunnel, you're going up the hill. You just see the big New Hampshire Motor Speedway uh, press box stuff like that. So that's when you know you're there, you know. And uh, just thinking back on it now, like how many famous people obviously famous, but how many like big names have won there and stuff like that. And I know it's not in the same level, but it's the same racetrack. You know what I mean? And uh, it's pretty cool to be. You know, obviously, on that list of people that have won there, and I know there's not a whole lot of people who have won there as of right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is kind of in this in this region. Loudon is Daytona, right? I yeah. mean, there's the Oxford 250, and there's Loudon. <laughs> um, <laughs> and here in Vermont, we love the Milk Bowl, but really, it's it's not even right at the same level as those two. But um, so, speaking of Oxford, you're really good there too. Um, and I guess the connection with Jeff Taylor might, might make that make sense, right?
1: I leaned on him, um, the first time I was there a lot. And, um, after that, I kind of did my own deal. Um, we changed a lot from the first two times we were there and, uh, we ended up finishing second there, the first race of the year to Marcel. Um, and after that, I was like, Oh, I think we, I think I know what we need. Um, so we went came back went back to work and went there with something completely different and uh that night the uh lights went out we were pretty good
2: <laughs> yeah so there's a fun story with that too right i mean that obviously doesn't happen a whole lot especially in the 2000s right it happened all the time back in the 60s but yeah like what's what is that like to have that to be on the racetrack and all the free lights go out and then to have the break and think about it and then have to get back in the car.
1: Yeah, no, like, uh, like they said in the act article that day, thank God Matt Anderson's fun. Right. Um, so we were luckily under yellow. I think if we weren't, it probably would have been pretty, pretty serious wreck. Um, but yeah, that was pretty crazy. The gauges, you know, are so bright in front of you. You can't see anything out the windshield. Um, when that happens. So that was, uh, that was pretty crazy, but it was cool. Um, I was actually racing with Bubba Pollard at that time, um, in the race. So we were parked next to each other there on the backstretch. And, uh, so I got to talk to him. So that was, that was pretty awesome. Um, he's obviously one of the biggest names in short track stuff. So I was talking to him and stuff and, you know, the crew came over, we were all talking about Bubba Pollard. So that was, that was pretty awesome. And then, uh, they brought us in the infield and they were like, what do you guys want to do? And, Thankfully, everyone wanted to wait it out because we would have had to race like seven in the morning. But, uh, oh my yeah, God. and once, yeah, that would have been bad. <laughs> I would have been sleeping probably. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah but uh, once we kind of all was sitting around and uh, we're like, oh, so how's the car? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea right now. i have been traffic, right? So, um, yeah, but once we went back green, it, it was on rails. And uh we were able to drive through the rest of the field and get the lead there about late middle of the race and we just uh my sponsor Kurt was just telling me to slow down the whole time, save the tires and uh there at the end we were able to stretch it out and uh finally went at Oxford, finished second there a couple of times and got dumped from the lead by Mike Hopkins once. And uh yeah, it was cool to uh finally steal the deal there.
0: How hard is it when someone keeps telling you to slow down?
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, it's pretty difficult, right? Because, you know, Oxford, you're not really on the throttle that long. Um, You're not really ever wide open ever. So you already feel like you're going pretty slow, and they're telling you to slow down even more. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, you know, but um, he does a really good job. We had a couple races in that year that uh, we ended up getting out front early and uh, just managing our lap times off of the rest of the field you know what I mean just to manage the gap and keep the tires on it he does a really good job of that
2: so you just mentioned it that you're you're really not on the throttle much at Oxford so how is it that you go from you know the straightaways at Thompson and Loudon being a year long uh (laughs) to the circle at Oxford that you're just kind of you're skating the whole time your quarter throttle the whole time um how much of a different mindset do you have to be in to go from one to the next
1: um personally i think oxford fits my driving style um i kind of like to be uh you know on the edge and stuff like that um throttle control and i like to think i'm pretty decent at um i actually enjoy racetracks where you actually have to be up on the wheel the whole time um compared to just you know on off switch on the gas pedal stuff like that um i like the abrasive tracks um and Oxford's all that, you know, it's just not bumpy. But there's a big curb, and if you hit it, you're going to know about it. But, um, yeah, it's probably between Thompson, Oxford, Loudon, those are probably my top three tracks. But it's definitely a whole different um, way to race, I would say, at Oxford compared to any other racetrack we go to.
0: So you like big, you like fast. What, it, what goes through your mind when you pull into a Thunder Road? And why haven't we seen you in the milk bowl?
1: Well, this year we will be there. <laughs> we will be at the milk bowl.
0: There you go. Heard um, it here first.
1: Yep. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we've, uh, the first time I was, I was there, I wanted to load up and go home. We were that bad. Um, we really struggled there for a couple of years. Um, the past, uh, I think, 2021, 2022, we started to get good. Um, and this year, well, last season we actually had one of our best runs. Um, we were in the top three there, top four towards the end of the last one. Um, I think we ended up sixth. We got shuffled back on restart, but that felt like a win for us, you know, because we've never really been good there. So, uh, but yeah, that place is a whole, a whole another animal. And uh, definitely, Chris Mashad came over to me, and he is every time we're there, he asked me if I if I like it yet, and I always tell him no. <laughs>
2: If you've got a home project going on, your first stop should be Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated from flooring to kitchens, from bathrooms to outdoor projects, from your home to your business. They are number one in central Vermont.
0: As you've heard on this show, Justin and I are officially middle aged super dads now. And one of our favorite hobbies is looking at the Barry Tile Facebook page to see their latest projects. I love the carpeting and hardwood flooring, and he loves the kitchen countertops and shower installations.
2: And it's true. Barry Tile has been family owned for 50 years and their experience shows in every single job. It's high quality work by highly qualified people who can design and install everything you need to upgrade your home or office. It's not a big chain store. It's local people with common sense and a ton of skill. Be like us and check out the Barry Tile
0: Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. Or you can give them a call at 802-476-0912. You can also stop into the showroom at 889 South Berry Road in Berry, Vermont, and tell them that the guys from Uncommon Deeds sent you.
2: This winter has certainly reminded us of what it's like to be without electricity and it's no fun at all. So don't let it happen again. Call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service so that you and your family are ready for the next storm. Whether it's Kohler or Briggs & Stratton, Bushy's is Vermont's leader for home standby generators and for Briggs & Stratton portable generators. With manufacturer certified technicians, free in-home estimates, factory warranties, service after the sale, and 0% financing all available to you, it's easy to see why Bushy's is number one. And they're doing it again, by the way. When you call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service between now and Thunder Road's Memorial Day Classic, mention that you heard this ad on Uncommon Deeds and save $500. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service covers all of Vermont and New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Give them a call at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on you know i mean as i i would think that as bad as you wanted to win at loud and that you have that feather in your cap now that kind of people say the same thing about thunder road especially when they hate it um that you want to you want to beat the track not not even if you win but you just want to feel like you know what you're doing there um is it fair to assume that that's kind of the next check mark on your list
1: um yeah um I really want to go there and have a a good day, you know, from start to finish. And uh, I'm hoping because the first race of the year there, we have that practice day and that really helped us out last year. Um, We kind of know the direction we want to go there. Um, So I think if we can, you know, come out of Loudoun and Stafford, I really want to do well at Stafford. I'm really looking forward to that one too. Um, But after Stafford, it's uh thunder Road, so I think that um is gonna be a uh deciding factor on what way um the rest of the year could go, just based on how your day goes there points wise you know <laughs>
0: you know, you mentioned Stafford, and I know a lot of people are looking forward to that this season. You were just in Hickory. How much are you kind of enjoying? Kind of these expansion races, for lack of a better term, where you're really getting out of everybody's comfort zone and getting to go to some legendary places.
1: Yeah, um, I really like it. Um, honestly, I like it more than going to the same tracks all the time. You know, um, I feel like it's uh, it just levels the playing field. No, the notebooks that you don't have them. You know what I mean? You kind of you know what the track is close to, but you don't really know what to expect, right? Um so like when we went ACT wasn't at leave for a while and um you know we unloaded, we were the fastest car there there in first practice and we kind of just didn't keep up with the weather that day. But um I think when we go to a brand new racetrack and as long as I unload halfway decent, I think um most of the time we're pretty good when we unload um at a brand new place. How
0: confident are you in you in your team if you show up to a new racetrack nobody's got a notebook that you can figure it out faster than anybody else
1: um i like to think we uh we'd be able to be right up there um with everyone at least um i know right well act obviously is no joke and there's probably 12 to 14 guys every single week that can win right um so it's uh And always, you know, you got to throw in the local guys, too. You know, there's always probably three or four of them at every racetrack that are fast. Um, But, uh, yeah, I like to think if, like, Stafford, I kind of – I've been thinking about that one all winter. I really want to win that. Stafford's like a – you don't really get to race there ever. So um, that's kind of a big deal for ATT late model stuff. Um, So I really have that one circled on my calendar, obviously Loudon. and all the Thunder Road races, I really want to uh, try and uh, turn that turn that deal around, too.
2: <laughs> so here's, here's the fun, kind of hard question. Um, maybe it's hard, maybe it's not. You know, last year, one of the biggest stories was that you skipped the two Canadian races while contending for the championship. Um, can you take us through that? Like, that's obviously a, a commitment.
1: The only reason we didn't go is because of the uh, what you needed to get into Canada um, at the time. And um, thankfully now they dropped all that. Um, I know a couple people on my crew had the vaccine and that kind of deal, Um, but I wasn't going to say, Hey, I need you guys to, uh, you know, go, we're going to Canada. You know what I mean? I I wasn't going to even bring that up. Um, So that's, that's why we didn't go. It wasn't any other reason really. Um, We just, didn't have the right um credentials to get in there that's all <laughs> but yeah that was definitely a um a low blow for us because we were leading the points all the way up to Canada and we get to that week and we're like oh well there goes that right it's, uh, you're not going to catch DJ Shaw missing, uh, missing two races you know so but we we're able to hang on for third uh, I think if we weren't so aggressive there at the end of the year trying to make up points I think we probably could have snuck our way closer, if not in second, in the standings. But we were trying to be as aggressive as we could and um, obviously try to make up as much as we could. So I kind of put us in a couple bad spots there towards the end of the year. But um, this year, thankfully, we can go, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, um, everyone at ACT says Canada's a crazy time. and uh, Oh, yeah. I guess we're going to – yeah, exactly right. So uh, looking forward to finally experiencing it
2: how much does it suck for you to sit there and know that those guys are racing?
1: Um, well, the first time we went to see for
2: the yeah. triple
1: crown deal. Yeah. So, uh, we ended up winning that. So that was, uh, like, a, it evened it out for me right that day. But, uh, the other one, I, I was sitting at home watching it on racing America or on flow, whatever one it was on. I can't remember, but yeah, that one's that one heard a little bit watching all them guys out there. And, uh, that second, that Mount that track looks like it's going to uh, almost kind of be in my driving style, just a tricky racetrack, stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to going there. And everyone says shot here is pretty crazy. Uh, I guess they just randomly start running the top in the middle of the race and then everyone moves up. So that's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to that. I was talking to Coralist down there at a Hickory about it. He said, "Yeah, it's like Darlington. It's the craziest thing ever."
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, also, try the poutine when you get to Shodier. It's uh, pretty good. Don't try the Coors Light in the pits because they do sell it there. But you gotta, oh, okay. you, you got a job to do.
1: So. Oh, I've heard. Yes.
0: <laughs> so, what does next season look like for you? Is it you know all focus on the tour? Do you want to try to hop in? A modified a few times. What does twenty twenty three look like?
2: You are driving the Lindblad car too, right?
1: Um. So, not that. Uh. Last year we did. Um. This year he's running Seaton Speedway with his um, son-in-law driving the car. So I won't be in that this year. Gotcha. Um. I was trying to get a deal together to drive the modified over the off season. Um. Thought I had one. Um, but uh, the sponsorship kind of fell through there last minute, so I won't be doing any uh, modified stuff as of right now at least. Um, but we uh, thankfully, right, um, we got on the Alan Kawicki driver development deal there, where semifinalist in that. So we had our interview, um, I think last week. Um, so they should be releasing the seven finalists here pretty soon. Um, I know they said. Um, either the first or second week in April. So looking forward to that. Hopefully we can uh, get in the top seven there. And um, really, we're uh, going to focus on ACT. That's our main goal. We want to uh, try and win the championship this year if we can. Um, and then we want to try and defend our Wall Ford uh, championship there also. They're growing that even bigger and bigger every week, it seems like. So looking forward to that. They do a great job there at White Mountain um, promoting the drivers and just everything there you know um it's a really good racetrack and it's run really well and uh they're, they're putting on some really big races for us
2: which you swept all three of them last year <laughs> the platinum series yeah, There.
1: Which, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah we had no plans on running that actually um the only reason we were there is because they got rid of adnoc. we um we went there the week before they had a weekly race at Monadnock, and we got wrecked in practice, so we didn't even get the race there. So that sucked. But, um, yeah, we fixed the car, and we were ready to go to Monadnock, and they canceled it. So we're like, well, White Mountains running on race, so let's go there. So we went there, and um, we ended up winning the first one. We're like, well, I guess we have to go back. And then uh, we ended up winning the second one, and we're like, oh, well, we'll go one more time. And then, uh, yeah, we ended up sweeping it, winning the championship there. That was pretty cool. Uh, Everyone at the Walls Ford, Brian Wall, and all those guys are all a great group of people. I became really friendly with them through that whole deal. So um, that was cool and um, stuff like that. But looking forward to it this year. It's four races now, so it's going to be a little harder to sweep. But um, hopefully we can uh, defend it.
0: For the uh, uninitiated or perhaps the uneducated, what? exactly does the colwicky deal kind of bring to the table what is the goal for a young driver what does it benefit them to be a part of it
1: um everything right so they uh they try to help you guys uh try to help out so basically it's the uh, it says on our website between like you know 16 and 20 24 25 whatever the number is i can't remember right now but that's their ideal contestant somewhere in that age. Um, And they try and help you with everything, you know, try and better yourself, try and better your marketing, social media, all things like that. Right. Um, And then obviously um, they try to find someone that can continue Alan's legacy. Right. So he was, he worked on on his own stuff. He was a very, uh, very smart man, obviously Um, won the championship, um, did a lot of work himself, pretty much everything himself driver, crew chief, all that. Um, he's also Polish, so that's pretty cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, they uh, they call it a scholarship and stuff like that. And um, it's a really cool deal. There's a lot of um, really cool people involved in that, Tom Roberts. Um, and actually, during the interview process, they actually had the fabricator of, um, on Alan's team um, when he was racing. So that was pretty cool to get to talk to him. And obviously, um, TR, Tom, Tom Roberts, um, and everyone over there, they do a great job with everything. And um, it's very, very professional. And uh, I'm looking forward here in a couple weeks to find out who the top seven are.
2: I mean, Ty Majewski went through that program, right? And he's one of the best short track drivers in the last 20 years. Um, and he's now in NASCAR. I mean, there, there is a, a pipeline to, to get to the top. So, but we all know what it takes to get to NASCAR too. And it's a big fat checkbook. I don't know your financial situation, but do you have designs on getting to the top? I mean, do you think you could do a Ryan priest situation and, and take a bet on yourself and make it happen or, or what's, what's the plan? What's the goal?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, um, I don't have the big fat checkbook, obviously. Right. Um, so it would end up being a situation like him and, He's obviously, um, he, when, uh, he was driving a bowler car when he was uh, first getting into the tour and stuff. Um, they had a birthday party up at, uh, Scott's house. Like I was saying, um, right at the road. So I was, you know, probably eight, nine years old, hanging out with Ryan priest, you know, that was pretty cool stuff like that. Um, so I look up to him a lot. Um, all, obviously he's one of the best in New England, if not the best in New England in a modified. Um, so I look up to him and, uh, you know, how he's gotten so far and the things he does. And I feel like um, I would have to end up in a similar situation to him to uh, be able to get there.
0: All right, time for our berry tile, quick hitters, and then we will let you go. First up, who's the driver you learn the most from by racing with and seeing out your windshield?
1: Um, I would have to say that day at Oxford when I finished second battling with Mike Hopkins and Nick sweet. Um, obviously two of the best in new England, full body cars. Um, I look at Nick sweet pretty much anywhere he goes, right. Cause he's always fast. Same thing with Mike Hopkins. And, uh, that, I, that taught me a lot about Oxford and just, um, I feel like that race showed me, you know, how to set someone up at Oxford, how to do a lot. You know, So I feel like that was a, big race for me and they taught me a lot that day
2: not to start a war here but you mentioned mike hopkins kind of took you out of the lead in one of the races (laughs) and a a lot of people won't name drop (laughs) um so is that are you bitter about it i mean is it is there a rivalry there or something i mean it's obviously you respect him um but is there like uh, i gotta beat that guy
1: no no i love mike we uh we were battling there at hickory uh, during the break for the funeral, there I walked because he let me by because um, I was riding around saving. I kind of figured he was going to go hard there and try to get the DJ, so I let him go. And you know, he get, he repaid the favor there towards the end of the race when I was faster than him. So after during the funeral, we were talking to each other. We we uh, we respect each other a lot. Um, I think that day um, really opened both of our eyes to like, hey, we're we were the fastest car that day, and. Uh, we've had that, that race was between us at that point, you know, and we kind of, I think both of us could have done some things different that day um, to, you know, race it out between ourselves. But uh, I think we uh, both gained a lot of respect for each other that night. That's for sure.
2: (laughs) So before I ask my dumbest thing question, um, (laughs) we haven't had the chance to talk to a lot of guys who have had to stop a race for a funeral and uh the deal down at hickory i mean that's kind of it's not a joke they stop the races with because there's a cemetery over, over next to the racetrack what is that like i mean the lights go out on you and you win at oxford <laughs> and then there's a funeral at hickory um i mean are you just expecting everything to happen now or or yeah
1: yeah i i guess right if it's gonna happen it seems like it's gonna happen to me but uh yeah um it was actually kind of an interesting deal there that happened um my crew chief dave like i was saying he actually lost his mother um the week the couple days leading up before hickory um and it was his brother's birthday on monday um of that week also and he also he used to race in the bush north and stuff like that his name was greg um so it was cool. He kind of came over, and he was a little emotional. He's like, "See, we needed a caution, and look what happened, right?" Um, so that was that was pretty cool that um, it happened, and we got to you know kind of share that moment together like that. Um, but yeah, we needed a yellow, and um, I, we did get one—that's for sure.
2: It's crazy. Um, so my my question here on the quick hitters is, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car?
1: There's a lot. Probably, um, I don't know. It's just probably getting into stuff I don't need to be involved in, you know, like this aggravated someone after the race and, you know, you nudge them after the race or something stupid like that. I would say it's probably up there on the dumbest things we ever done.
0: <laughs> I feel like they need like an ACT tour enduro at the end of the season where everyone <laughs> can just get their feelings out.
1: <laughs> Yeah, that would be. Uh, I don't know. It, it'd be interesting. I'd like. I'd like to watch it. I don't think I'd want to be in it.
2: <laughs> Run the figure eight at Seacock. That's that's what they got to do yeah. with the pumpkins out there. <laughs> exactly.
1: <Yeah. laughs>
0: Let me ask you this: Who is the guy in the pits? The other driver that you love to hang out with when you're at the track, but you would not want to date your sister.
1: Oof. Um. Probably Trent (laughs) Goodrow, but uh, no, we're we're like best friends, so it's funny. But uh, no, he's he's a goofball, boss for sure. But uh, yeah, no, he uh, he does a lot for me. He kind of sponsor, he sponsors me. Uh, He does all my raps and stuff like that. Trent Goodrow designs, so check him out. Um, But yeah, no, he's a goofball, boss for sure.
2: (laughs) He uh, he designed our Beaver Dragon shirt that we sell.
1: There you
0: go. (laughs) Nice. Where can people kind of follow you and keep up with what you got going on this year?
1: Um, so Facebook, Derek Luchocky Racing. I think the Twitter's the same. My girlfriend runs all that stuff for me. She does a great job. Super thankful for all she does for me. Um, so, yeah, um, that's pretty much it. And then obviously on the ACT website, stuff like that. and I, it's Everything's on Racing America and Flow this year, so that's cool.
2: Are you ready to be the face of ACT right now?
1: Uh, I hope so. <laughs> but it's no, it's, I hope so. <laughs> All
2: right, man. Listen, uh, it's been fun to kind of get to know you here, and, and we wish you the best of luck this season. Um, you know what you're up against with DJ Shaw. It's going to be a battle, so it, it'll be fun for us to watch. And, by the way, Joey Paul coming back uh, is going to be fun too. So uh, best of luck to you, man. Get Go after it.
1: Thank you. Thank you guys for having me.
2: All right.
0: Thanks again, Derek, for giving us so much of his time as they're getting ready, geared up. I saw a bunch of pictures on the Facebook, I think. ACT getting ready for New Hampshire and starting to hype that up. you got to believe he's going to be one of the favorites pulling in there.
2: You know, it's hard to bet against him seeing as how he won last year. Um, And he's good at the big tracks like Thompson, Thompson, yeah, definitely one to watch. I think Jimmy Hebert obviously is going to have a great shot at it. Joey Paul will. Patrick LaPearl has been so close at Loudon without winning. Yeah, it's it's it really is shaping up to be one of the better years for ACT in a long time. And, um, yeah, that should be a pretty good fight.
0: Who's the most successful Massachusetts driver in American-Canadian tour history?
2: Hmm. Uh, Eddie McDonald. Yeah, but if you go back further, Joey Caracos, for sure. Uh, it's pre-ACT, but yeah, he'd be the guy, I would say. Yeah, it's got to be Eddie Mack. Speaking of New Hampshire. Right. Yep.
0: He was just a you... pirate for a while, just Oof. bouncing to big event after big event. Raiding the treasure chest and moving on, leaving nothing but carnage in his wake.
2: Did Ken ever call him the pirate? I know he called him the bandit. I don't think so. His actual so. nickname is the outlaw. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good stuff.
0: We just bounce around it.
2: Yeah. We should get Eddie on the show. Um, I think but we've hopefully, talked about he it. says something more than. You know, Raleigh and the guys had a great setup. The car was just awesome. Every answer after every race, what's exactly that for 10 years? <laughs> and I don't mean this is a knock on Eddie. I love Eddie. You get him off air and he's great. But on, you know, you press record and it's the same answer. <laughs> and let me tell you, Red and Judy McDonald, If you want if you want to hang, if you want a, a good hang and it's late night and there's beer, That's the people you want to hang out with. They can hang. Okay. Just take my word. Make sure you are
0: subscribed to the podcast. Leave us that five star review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. I think they have a ranking. Helps us with the algorithm, helps us be noticed by more people. You know, the more likes you have the more ratings you have, the more it'll suggest the podcast to other people, which is Mm -hmm. beneficial to us.
2: I had somebody today ask if we'd done a Dave Moody episode. I was like, whoa, yeah, we have. That was two years ago. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously there's work to do to get this, to get the word out. Yep. Right.
0: And you have to, when you're in there, if you're new, and you're checking out the podcast you can you can scroll back the whole library is in there mm-hmm. yep. so there's some doozies way back at the beginning i think Justin and i don't sound nearly as good it was very early on in the process
2: uh, Wait, we don't sound good now is that we what you
0: <laughs> we had a three week stretch where Justin didn't realize he wasn't using the microphone in front of his face mm-hmm. yep like why does it sound like Justin's talking to us in his bathroom I'm out of ideas. I don't know. Oh, and we you had heard, that
2: weird camera thing going on. Remember that? What was that? Yeah, the something uh, with your camera was locking up the my feed. old my old Mac.
0: The computer, the camera on it, for whatever reason, would interfere with yeah. the roadcaster, And luckily, that never affected one of the episodes. It only affected when you and I would do the opens and closes. Right. Yeah. Or when we did like a practice run we did, we did because I used like, a yeah. better camera when we did the interviews and that's yeah. why we couldn't figure. It in the, Isn't that funny? Yeah. Gosh. We had some doozies, some doozies early on. And this is really sounding like we're coming to an end with the way the open went and the way we're talking now. But no, we're just reminiscing. No, just reminiscing. Speaking of more to come. Make sure you are subscribed on YouTube at Uncommon Media VT. Mm -hmm. We have a pop-up video coming next week.
2: It looks so good, Tom.
0: So we have our episode this week pop up next week, episode the week after is how that's going to go. Also, there's no foul stuff on the YouTube page. We had our first game of the week up there, 1988 girls division two state championship between Oxbow and Randolph. And I know some of you are probably thinking, why would I want to watch a girls high school basketball game from 1988? Cause it was a great fucking game
1: <laughs>
0: to the point. It deserved the hard F <laughs> Jade Huntington went for, I think 40 Damn. Jen Niebling. Randolph was awesome. 40 in the state championship game and lost. Wow. Come on. And eventually, we'll, her sister, Jazz Huntington, was yep. absolutely electric. Lights and I think it was 96. She scored uh, like 42 in the semifinals to get to the championship. And I think 40 in the championship. And they Man. lost. Wow. But I got some That's good crazy. stuff coming for Game of the Weeks coming up here in the next little bit once we kind of get into the rhythm and I get in the rhythm of getting back into work. Yep. But I got some already lined up, and once again, I didn't talk about it on this show, and I'm not going to get into it. But thank you to the Barry Tournament Committee for making it possible for me to get all the footage that I have from – the Barry auditorium much appreciated.
2: You are, a, you might be a bigger nerd with Vermont basketball than I am with Vermont racing. And that's saying something.
0: I would say probably not, but <laughs> I, to be, to be in the ballpark lets you know how big of a nerd I am. Okay. All right. That's fair. You know, I'm not, you're probably starring on the Big Bang Theory, and I'm just the nerd on the outside trying to, no, that's not
2: right. Yeah. You've got a recurring role, though, on the show.
0: I pop in from time to time.
2: (laughs) Come up with a witty
0: one-liner and keep it moving. Yeah. (laughs) Make sure you're following us on all the socials. Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook uncommon deeds podcast on the Instagram Don't go
2: chase an Instagram actually you should yep yep yeah uh, if you want a
0: one-stop shop for pretty much all of the stuff we have going on you can check us out uncommon media VT on all the socials Instagram, yeah. Facebook Twitter. We don't do much with Twitter,
2: if I'm being honest. Yeah, now and then we do, but no, yeah, it's not you know what we don't really promote much on Twitter, we just kind of reply and comment on things on Twitter.
0: Maybe we'll just start paying like eight dollars a month to get a blue check mark so people think we're cool.
2: You have to pay eight dollars a month for a blue check mark now? I think that's like
0: the thing. It's like a what? thing now.
2: Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. You have to pay for it now. I think it was supposed to start this month or something. Hmm. I don't know. Does Elon not have enough money already? I think we both
0: know the answer to that. Yeah, right. No one can ever have enough. That's true. And all the people who don't need it and probably don't deserve it keep getting it. We talked about this on the New Sports Order podcast this week. Oh, okay. You know, you had like Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders. Who, like in the last year, just had a horrendous organization full of misogyny and all kinds of just crooked stuff. And so now he's selling the team, but it's going to sell for $6 billion. Jesus Christ. So people, oh, he's got to sell the team. Like, yeah. I'm sure he's just torn apart while he counts his $6 billion. The same with Sarver, who's the owner of the Phoenix Suns, who got in a big bunch of trouble. Yeah. And he wasn't forced to, but was more or less forced to sell the team and got like $4 billion. Like, Yeah, really punishing these these billionaires by giving them even more than they. I think Dan Snyder bought the Commanders back in whatever it was, like 98 for... What was a record at the time, like eight hundred million? And he's gonna sell it now for six billion.
2: Good lord. All that and more on Uncommon Deeds. Bad guys win. Yeah. <laughs> Bad guys always win. I think that's all we
0: got. <laughs> Check out all the shows.
2: Bring us home, Tom.
0: No Fouls Podcast, New Sports Order Podcast, Uncommon Media. VT on YouTube. Keep an eye out next week for a fresh pop-up video. Yeah. What was it, circa 1987? Yep. Catamount?
2: Catamount Stadium, Spring Green. Fun stuff. Yeah. You've been listening to Uncommon
1: Deeds, a production of Uncommon Media.